Blog Talk Radio. Now there you're being kind. And that's cool, and we'll talk a little bit about that. The one more match thing isn't going to happen, but other bigger things are going to happen. But I want to start by thanking a bunch of people. I've never interacted with anybody in this business that hasn't taught me something. Even if it is to teach me things that I don't want to do. Directions I don't want to go in my life. Things like that aren't going to work for me. But everybody in this business that I ever crossed paths with taught me something. Going all the way back to the beginning. Getting a few hours of training. Of course, that was easy to notice. A few hours of training from Red Bastine in California, a racquetball court. They had a ring set up in there. That was before they were smartening people up. Me and Steve Borden, Sting, a couple... And a couple other muscle-up guys, Red Bastine and Billy Anderson, enjoyed just watching us pound the crap out of one another. After a few hours training there, me and Steve put some flyers together. We went to Mid-Southern. Jerry Jarrett gave us an opportunity there. The people we met there, Dutch Mantel, Jerry Lawler, Fantastics, Bobby Rogers and Tommy Fulton, or the other way around, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. From there to Watts Territory, all the guys over there, the things we learned from them. Ted DiBiase was over there at the time, Dr. Destiny Williams. I have to tell Teddy, Teddy, I, saw, I somewhat fashioned my clothesline after you. Because I remember you and uh, Steve Williams when you had matches with me and Steve. You tried the best you could to make it obvious that you wanted us to pack our gear bags and go home. And I remember my Adam's apple was always sore and hurting because of the clotheslines you gave me. So, you can take some honor in that, Ted. Where's Ted at? Is Ted here? Ted, good evening. How you doing, bud? Awesome. Of course, uh, went to WCW, WCCW World Class Championship Wrestling and learned a lot of great things there. Started the Dingo Warrior gimmick, the poor version of Ultimate Warrior. I only had a couple tubes of paint, a couple strings to put around my arms, but all the great people there. David Manning, Rick Hazard, the Von Erics, um, Lynn Denton, uh, Tim Brooks, some of the guys that just worked in the business because they enjoyed working in the business. Bruiser Brody was there. George Scott was there. He was there at the tail end of it. George Scott worked with Vince in the beginning to do the first couple of WrestleManias. He was going down to Florida to retire. And he, uh, Fritz had asked him if he'd come down there and do some of the booking. And he came down there for a while. And I remember another old-timer, Bronco Lubick, 
was uh, working in the office there, and he pulled me aside one day, and he said, George was on the phone today, and he was talking to New York. He didn't say WW. Well, W. I wish that they could put the F, the F and F back in. Thank you for joining us here on King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, April 15th, 2014. Of course, that was the late Ultimate Warriors speech. Here uh, on the panel with us, on the King Jordan Radio panel with us, is the one and only uh, wrestling insider from Chicago, the one and only Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome back to King Jordan Radio. Hey, thanks, King. Great to be back. Great way to kick off the show with that Hall of Fame speech from the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, very cool and a very fun way to end when he talked about putting the F back. I, I think a lot of fans wish the F was back. <laughs> no question. Okay, I uh, see some other numbers. Let's see. Do we have Dominic? Do we have Blackjack? The line is open. Try again. Do we have Dominic? Do we have Blackjack? JJ. King. Yo, okay. How's it going? Hey, man. Great to have you on. All right. Okay. Uh, a lot of uh, things Dominic? going on. Is Dominic with us? Uh, Dominic has not checked in yet. Okay. Let me see if this is him. Dominic, are you with us? Dominic. Going once, going twice. Okay, you struck out. Um, all right, I want to start off with how Brock Lesnar can capitalize on the Undertaker streak. Let's take a listen to this, and I want to get you guys' take on the other side. The end of the streak. Had some more time to think about this, and I went back again. I watched it on the network. According to, I think it was The Observer, I don't know if it was The Torch of The Observer, but they, they talked a lot about the the ending of the streak and what was going on behind the scenes before the match, after the match. Apparently it was a Vince McMahon call. So whether The Undertaker had to be talked into it or if he was totally cool with it, if he was down, I don't know. But it was a Vince McMahon call that tonight the streak ends. And Vince also rode in the ambulance with The Undertaker to the hospital because he, uh, he I guess he suffered a really bad concussion. Uh, he was really out of it backstage. So a little bit of what Paul Heyman talked about in his promo on Monday was legit. In ter- I don't know if he collapsed as soon as he went through the curtain, but uh, they did have to uh, load him up in an ambulance. Vince went with him, so he, he wasn't even there at the building for the last two matches on the show uh, and the main event, which I think tells you exactly how he feels about The Undertaker, how much he respects the guy for what he's given to to that company for decades. I can't even say years at this point. What he's what he's done to his body and given to Vince McMahon for decades now. How can you not have respect for the guy? And and maybe he could see the writing on the wall Vince did and maybe that's why he made the call. I don't know. Maybe he could tell that this guy, God, this guy's in rough shape. He just we can't keep doing this. It's time and and he felt differently than, you know, I did that I look if it were up to me I never would have ended the streak. He would have retired at 21 and 0, 22 and 0, 23, whatever the number is. Um, but clear, clearly he felt differently about it. Uh, he may think Taker is done. He made the call. The streak had to end. That was the right business decision to make. 
Um, but you know what? I watched that finish back on the network, and to all the people saying it was a botch, you could tell that or the referee didn't know. Look, I guess it's possible the referee was included. Why the fuck would you not clue the referee in on it, you know, 10 seconds before the finishing, the finishing fall? He's got an earpiece in his ear. It would be very easy for somebody to go, this is the finish. Be aware. FYI, this is it. Why would you run the risk of the, of the referee panicking and potentially fucking up the finish, to, you know, one of the most famous finishes in WrestleMania history? It doesn't make any sense to me why, in his earpiece at least at the last minute, maybe he didn't go out there knowing, but why they wouldn't include Chad Patton in right before that, that final fall after the third F5 doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm not sure I really buy that. I watched it back. I don't see any hesitation at all. He counts to three. He doesn't hold up a little bit. I see him wave it off when uh, when the match is over, but that could just be him saying, you know, the, the match is over. The streak's over. Or maybe he was just doing that because he really thought he fucked up and he was trying to cover cover his own ass. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure his heart was, was skipping a few beats that night. I know if that were me, <laughs> I would have been, you know, probably pale as a goat. Well, I'm pale as a ghost anyway, but... Um, but I didn't see anything wrong with the finish in terms of there being a botch or the referee holding up his count. I don't know what, what these people are watching. Uh, it looked perfectly fine to me. I, you know, I watched it back, and all of the shocked expressions on people's faces, including that one guy with his eyes you know, bugging out of his head, poor guy. I, I know I was smiling when the camera caught me. I was rocking my troll face. I saw all the screenshots that people sent me. By the way, I made the latest uh, Botchamania video. So I'm very, uh, I'm very proud of that. You know, I was just as surprised as anyone else. I was just as happy to be there to, to witness, to witness history. Basically, I didn't think it would happen, but I was, uh, I was happy. That's why I was smiling. You know, it wasn't like I wanted to see Brock win the match. A lot of people very upset that a part timer is the one who ended the streak. And, and you can make the argument, you know, what does it do for Brock? Brock's already a made man and all that kind of stuff. It's been a week, I've thought about it, I've gone back and I've watched it, and even though I would not have done that, and I'm really, in some ways I'm kind of bummed that they ended the streak, I don't mind it. I'm actually fine with with them making Brock the guy to do it, because between that and the promo the next night, and you know, rumors of what some of the matches may be coming up in the next six months, 12 months, if they handled Brock the way that, frankly, he should have been handled from his first night in, uh, not losing to John Cena in his first pay-per-view match, if they treat Brock the way that a guy like Brock should be treated, as a special attraction who just mows through people, who just destroys people, and then eventually whoever the guy is, whether it's Brian, whether it's Cesaro, whether it's Roman Reigns or whoever, they decide is going to be the guy to topple this guy. Until then, Brock should be booked as an unstoppable beast. That's exactly how Brock Lesnar should be treated. And I could tell you, being in the building for Raw the next night, he was unbelievably hated. I mean, you, you, will not, you would not find a person in that arena more hated, not even John Cena, than Brock Lesnar. Every time they put that graphic up from WrestleMania, the streak ends, Brock Lesnar coming up later tonight, the place erupted in booze. People hated this man, hated this man. So if the idea was to get more heat on him because they've got big plans, maybe they're going to put the belt on him. Look, I did a whole Layfield Report column, and I talked about it on my, on my podcast, you know, two months or whatever it was before WrestleMania, that 
I would love to have seen them get the belt on Brock, maybe at Elimination Chamber. And because he's a part-timer, I wouldn't expect him to have a long run with it. So I don't care if he wins the belt at Elimination Chamber and loses it a month and a half later. Who cares? He's not going to be around anyway. But have him go into WrestleMania in this David vs. Goliath match and defend against Brian and have Brian beat him. I just think Brian Brock can have a hell of a match. And now they could still do it. You know, I mean, if, and if I were them, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know what plans they have for Batista. You know, the, the plan may still be to get the belt on him when his movie comes out or whatever. I would, I would almost just wait until SummerSlam and have Brock beat Brian then for the belt. I like that idea. Daniel Bryan does not have to have a year-long run as champion. He has to have at least a few months after everything. You can't just take the title off him right away. Give him a little run with it. Let him go through some people. Maybe Bray Wyatt at some point. You know, they could do. They still have to do the Bray Bryan match because Bray's got to win over him at the Royal Rumble. You know, that has to come back at some point into play in these storylines. It has to build to something between the two of them, and then Bryan gets his win back, makes him even bigger going into SummerSlam, and then putting the belt on Brock. I got no problem with that at all. I don't even care if Brock's only on television. You know, every two three weeks doesn't matter. They put the belt on The Rock. It's not like The Rock was on television every week. The Rock had one grand title defense the whole time he was champion. It was the rematch with Punk. That was it. But the title kind of felt bigger than it really was because The Rock was such a big star, and The Rock had it. And The Rock took it everywhere, the red carpets and all the different appearances. You know, it actually was, it was kind of cool. It kind of meant something. So the fact that Brock is a part-timer, it doesn't really bother me so much. I, I just accept it. I think they can turn this into something positive if they build Brock the right way. Now, if Brock comes out in a month and they put him on pay-per-view and he loses, then this was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. Just the dumbest fucking thing that you could possibly imagine. I can't imagine that that's what they're going to do. If they protect him... They can really build this guy up as the monster of all monsters, put the belt on him at some point, and it'll mean so much more when whoever it is, whether it's a, a young guy or Brian or whoever, beats him for it. Okay, JJ, uh, let me get your thoughts on that commentary. Yeah, well, uh, much like uh, he said, I even rewatched uh, the match between Brock and The Undertaker at WrestleMania today just because I was hearing stories that the referee wasn't in on it, and there's a very few people who were in on the finish of the match. I mean, besides, of course, Vince and The Undertaker and Brock and Paul Heyman and Triple H and Stephanie, according to you know reports that I've read, is they were the only elite people who knew the finish. The referee didn't even uh, know, supposedly. And I watched the match just to check the referee, you know, just to see what he was doing. And I noticed Brock Lesnar gave The Undertaker three F5s. And every time he gave them an F5, he went for the pin. Every time the camera shot the pinfall, the referee was out of view. You ne usually when the referee is, is on camera, when someone is doing a submission or a pinfall, you can see the ref pretty clear. Maybe the ref can't see what's going on if, you know, if their hands are on the ropes or whatever, but usually the camera always has a good shot of the referee. Three times after each F5, you had a very awkward camera position 
where you saw Lesnar pinning Undertaker, clear as day, but what you didn't see was the referee. The referee was sort of behind them. So all you really saw was uh, Chad Patton, the referee, his hand raised up once, twice, and then it went down. Whether or not he was hesitant or not, you couldn't see it from the footage. Unless you're at the arena, maybe you'd have a better view, and you could see, oh, did he hesitate? Was he not sure? Uh, a lot of people thought, like you mentioned, there was a botch. If Undertaker had a concussion, maybe he didn't realize to kick out or he was too slow. But, uh, you know, it, this was meant to happen. And uh, we were saying even last week where The Undertaker wanted to lose to Lesnar back at, I think, WrestleMania 27 in uh, 2010 when they had that big moment at the UFC. But Dana White wouldn't let uh, Brock out of his contract. He didn't want him to be a wrestler and a fighter. He, he said, you're either going to be a fighter or that's it. So Brock had to get out of his contract with the UFC. He retired. Eventually, he came back to the WWE. In the meantime, the WWE had Taker go up against Triple H twice. Then they had uh, last year with CM Punk. And then finally, they were able to have that match. And if you saw the match, we pointed out a lot of people said that it wasn't exactly Taker's best match. But again, he did have a concussion. He wasn't always there. Brock had to sort of guide him through the match. So it was a very difficult um uh, time for Undertaker, and you kind of really, if you're Vince, wow, he must be a fortune teller because I don't know how many more matches the Undertaker has left in him. And if you're going to end the streak, now's the time to do it before it gets embarrassing and you're, you're watching Undertaker and you're realizing he can't go like he used to. He can't do everything that he used to do in that ring, and nobody wants to see that. Everybody remembers the Undertaker as this legendary figure who's had great matches the last few years. He's, he's had been easily the match of the night at the last uh, four or five uh, WrestleManias with Shawn Michaels and Triple H and CM Punk. They stole the show each and every Mania, in my opinion. So uh, I remember the fans. The fans' reaction were great. They were shocked. There's a guy who who uh, they're making Internet memes of, you know, the shocked Undertaker guy. The WWE even tracked him down. They did a... They did an exclusive interview with this fan who was just ringside and had this amazing reaction to Undertaker's uh, defeat and the streak coming to an end. So it was really a huge moment, not only for The Undertaker, but in WrestleMania history. Daniel Bryan might have won the uh, WWE World Championship, but everybody was talking about the streak coming to an end, and their childhood was over, and the, the reaction from the streak was exactly what the WWE wanted. They wanted something big for WrestleMania 30, and there's nothing bigger than having the streak come to an end. I mean, having Taker just defend that for what the past 22 years. I mean, he was uh, you know, 21 and 0 until facing Brock Lesnar. So it was very historic. What happens in the future? You know, people are saying was that Taker's last match? I don't know, but this really does make Brock Lesnar's career. Yes, he was the youngest undisputed champion at 23 years old. He's a former Royal Rumble winner. He's a former King of the Ring. He's done um, some amazing stuff in the WWE, had great matches with Kurt Angle and others. But uh, I definitely think this is something Lesnar needed. Ever since he returned, he hasn't really had a lot of great matches. He had that one match with Cena at Extreme Rules which was in Chicago, and I got to see it in person. They tore the house down. It was awesome. For some reason, Lesnar lost. 
I don't know why Lesnar lost. He should have won. Instead, Cena picked up the victory. At the time, that was when The Rock defeated Cena at WrestleMania, so I guess they wanted Cena to have a big win. But in my opinion, you bring in a guy like Brock Lesnar, who's a beast. He's a UFC legit fighter, a champion, and you have him lose to John Cena. And then he had these matches with Triple H, and they were kind of, you know, they were good, but they weren't very memorable, again, in my opinion. But then he had a match with CM Punk last year at SummerSlam. I thought it was awesome. Lesnar was the beast he should have been. And now at WrestleMania, he defeated the streak. So, really, what could Lesnar do next other than be champion? And people are already predicting that maybe next year at WrestleMania 31, we'll see Lesnar and Cesaro or Lesnar and Roman Reigns or possibly even The Rock coming back. And as he mentioned, uh, you know, something I would love to see is Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar. I think Bryan, who's very similar to Punk, they would have a really great showing. Lesnar would be the beast, and Bryan would just, you know, go out there and tear it up with him. I think uh, I would definitely want to see that. I think it would make for a great match. So while I'm sad the streak came to an end, I do think that it was just the right time. And I just, it was just something that had to happen, as Blackjack pointed out. Streaks are made to be broken, and this streak was broken. Yes. Uh, let me see if we have uh, Dominic here. Dominic, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. What's up, guys? Dominic. Okay. My man. How you doing? All right. Good, good. Now, uh, TMZ thinks that there is a conspiracy with the Undertaker's Wars. Let's take a listen. The Undertaker, hospitalized in New Orleans, diagnosed with a bad concussion, and it's all real, including the conspiracy theory. It's DMZ's Scandalmania SSX. Not available on pay-per-view. The Undertaker, wrestling legends, was dealt his first loss ever in WrestleMania. This is a big deal, Harvey. This is huge. Yes, we could tell by the insane reactions. Dude, it's gonna be okay. Anyway. During the match, Undertaker got injured. He had suffered a concussion. Bad. And there are conspiracy theories that he was supposed to win the match, but once he had his concussion, they kind of changed it on the fly to, to end it so he could be hospitalized. Oh my God! Do you know what this means? They're saying it's a real injury. No, who cares about that? This means his loss shouldn't really count as a loss. Asterisk? Asterisk on the loss? Asterisk. You asterisk the loss. Asterisk. You asterisk. Yes. (laughs) You're no smart at English. As for The Undertaker, if they did change the match to accommodate his medical situation, it could mean his scripted legacy would stay intact. The Undertaker's awesome. You're damn right he is. So get well soon, Undertaker. So you can get back to being a dead guy who wrestles. Doesn't make any sense. Wrestling! All right, Dominic, what's your take? Well, I I, I think The Undertaker should have retained the, uh, the streak. I don't know if they changed yeah. it on the fly. I, I, I doubt it. But Undertaker always used to say if the streak's got to end, he wanted it to be Brock Lesnar, but... Brock or not, I don't think the streak should have ended. I think The Undertaker should have retired with the streak intact. Blackjack, your take. I mean, uh, even though 
I, I, I've, had, I've seen The Undertaker defeat Brock Lesnar, and especially with the 21-1 uh, and, and type of a deal here. He can only go but so, but so much. His real physical capacity. And um, Lesnar is the type of guy that, that uh, wants to uh, forward, forge on, and Lesnar got the, the better of it, you know. He got the better of the deal. Uh, Undertaker, I think his, his time, that was about now. I, I figured like last year he, sh- he should have been gone. But as I said, you know, all streaks are, are broken in wrestling, and what thing to capitalize on Undertaker being defeated by, by Lesnar. I mean, it was the talk of the whole, uh, the trains, the planes, the buses. Everybody talked about that. In the barbershop, that's all you could hear about Undertaker losing and people being in shock. I was in the press box, and you, and you see these uh, professional guys here looking at the streak and Undertaker getting defeated, and they're crying. They're like stumbfounded with their eyes all bulging out of their heads. That was upstairs in the press box as well as happened in, in the crowds. It was a shocker. You needed to do that for the wrestling and get people talking, you know? Now, what's going to happen with Lesnar? He's, he's going to be, um, be a force to, to reckon with. Watch. And uh, uh, the uh, way he lost, though, a lot of people feel to Brock Lesnar. I mean, maybe to Shawn Michaels it would have been okay. Yeah, but Lesnar's the type of guy that wrestles hard. He wrestles closer than most wrestlers. And at certain points, Lesnar felt stupid by locking up with um, with Taker because Taker wasn't uh, uh, putting uh, pressure on him and stuff like that. And it made him look like a a fool. So in reality, I mean, uh, I think uh, uh, Lesnar done that. Purposely, uh, then again, maybe it wasn't purposely, but he he um, got a concussion from that match. There's been many wrestlers in the in the ring that sent locks inside that ring and they get concussions. I've seen Sandman, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, Mick Foley get concussions that you don't hear about while they're wrestling inside the ring and they're taken to the hospital. Undertaker received a concussion from a hard working. Um, uh, Brock Lesnar. Lesnar is he wrestles stiff, and he'll put the the boots to you. He really does do that. That's that's no joke. Well, uh, I still think Brock Lesnar. He should be a full time wrestler now, though. I don't know. Was he on Raw last night? I think he was just talking. No, he wasn't even I- on Raw. Paul Heyman cut a promo about him breaking the streak, but then he introduced Cesaro. Yeah. And speaking of Cesaro, uh, he's in the uh, finals with the RVD, right? Right. That's right. Uh, Yesterday on Raw, they had an intercontinental tournament to have the number one contender against Big E Langston, and the the bracket started out with Mark Henry and Cesaro, Rob Van Dam and Del Rio, Sheamus and Swagger, Ziggler and Barrett, and eventually the I believe now these what semifinals or quarterfinals 
will be Cesaro versus Rob Van Dam. That should be a very physical fight. We know uh, Van Dam loves to throw those uh, unorthodox kicks. And Cesaro, who, uh, you know, throws those European uppercuts, he's uh, very strong. He definitely throws his power within the match. So I'm looking forward to it. I like uh, this tournament style. It's, uh, it's an old-school method that we don't see too often in the WWE these days. So uh, I'm hoping uh, it makes the Intercontinental title mean something. And, uh, J.J., I, I saw the beginning of Roddy if you hope. And besides that uh, thing in the beginning, uh, was there anything else done well, about the Warriors? Well, they did have these little video packages where they showed uh, some of Warriors' greatest moments, and they showed, you know, when he de- defeated the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental title. They showed uh, the cage match he had with uh, Rick Rude at SummerSlam, and of course WrestleMania Six against Hogan when he was the Intercontinental Champion and he won the WWE cha- Championship. So they did show some videos, but the main thing that they were doing was uh, they're filming stuff for the WWE Network. They're doing an Ultimate Warrior Week on the uh, WWE Network in which they're going to be showing all kinds of specials, which start uh, tonight. They have a four-part series called Ultimate Legend in which they do highlights of Warrior, his greatest matches, uh, memorable moments. This is stuff that was done that whole weekend there, you know. As I said, I've counted like ten shows that they produced for that weekend of uh, at Mania. I mean, that network, they got a lot of shows, and they they busted out a few with the Warrior and Warrior with McMahon and his reaction towards everything, the the behind-the-scenes stuff. There's a lot of that, and you'll see yep. that with uh, Daniel Bryan and Hulk Hogan, and that that's what they do, and, and The Rock. All that stuff is going to be coming out. As I said, this network is, is going to be used, for, and they're using a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. that They uh, recreate a lot of stuff uh, while they're in the, in the ring on, on these Raws, at tapings. They'll be doing some stuff again tonight. This is what they do. Yeah, they actually showed the Daniel Bryan special last week. Last week they had the journey of uh, WrestleMania for Daniel Bryan. I watched it. It was uh, really great. It was behind the scenes. You saw John Cena, his, now his wife, Brie Bella, and they were all uh, talking about Daniel Bryan, guys like Seth Rollins and Antonio Cesaro, who worked with Bryan in Ring of Honor. They were also a part of the documentary in which they show you behind the scenes on how Brian prepared for the match and his training and his media appearances and uh, things like that. And even afterwards, they did interviews with him when he won. So it was, it was a really cool uh, thing to see. You know, we've seen the W do a lot of these documentaries in the past, but this was exclusively on the network. And now they're going to be showing a exclusive uh, documentary of the Ultimate Warrior in his final days uh, during that WrestleMania weekend in the Hall of Fame. They're going to be airing that sometime this week as well. Well, uh, also, uh, the day he passed, uh, Nancy Grace uh, uh, did, did something about that. Let's take a listen to uh, what somebody has to say about Nancy Disgrace. Nancy Grace, or as I call her, Nancy Disgrace. I'm not going to call her Nancy Grace anymore because... Uh, Disgrace is a more appropriate name for her. And I started calling her that many years ago after the Benoit stuff, which I'll talk about in a second. 
she did a report. It was a Tuesday night or Wednesday. It would have been Wednesday night, I guess. Uh, it was very shortly after the news broke that he had died. And she, of course, had to jump right on top of it, another dead wrestler. So she does a report on her show, which is on uh, HLN, basically a network, and, and a show that really is watched by almost no one. And I didn't watch it. I didn't want to watch it. I, I really, she is a vile, repulsive woman. I have no interest in watching her whatsoever. And I had no plans on doing it until people started tweeting me and sending me messages saying, oh, my God, she said Owen Hart, you know, died of steroids. And I thought to myself, what? That's not possible. She, she couldn't have said that. And, and in her defense, she did not actually say that. But when people started mentioning Owen Hart and stuff like that, I said, okay, i, I got to watch this now. So I find the segment on YouTube. It's like an eight-minute clip. I, I don't even know if it was the complete segment. If it wasn't, I'm sure it was most of it. And right off the bat, rumors of steroids and illegal drug use swirling. She stuck to this script multiple times during this eight-minute segment, no less than three or four times. She said the exact same words. Rumors of steroids and illegal drug use are swirling. The guy's been dead for, what, a day? I don't see rumors of illegal drug use and steroids swirling. I, look, I admit, the first thought I had, the first thought that popped in my head when I heard the warrior drop dead was, it was the years of steroids. Clearly the guy was jacked to the gills for most of his career, way more so than a lot of other wrestlers were, and it would be a fair assumption to, to make that after all those years of doing all the shit that I'm sure he and everybody else did, it caught up with him, and we're going to find out that he had an enlarged heart or, or something to that effect, because we've heard this so many times before. How many wrestlers have dropped dead or had heart attacks in their 40s, in their 50s, and we hear the same thing over and over again? That's, that was just the first thought that popped in my head. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll find out it was some, a complete freak thing, it was a stroke, who knows? But sure, that was the first thought that came in my head. You can make that assumption by looking at an old photo of the Ultimate Warrior. I'm sure the average person would look at that and not be surprised that this guy dropped dead at a young age. But to say that oh, rumors of illegal drug use are swirling, I don't see rumors swirling about anything. The only thing I see, the only thing that's swirling is, is my vomit at the bottom of the tidy bowl by, by having to sit here and listen to this woman ramble on and on. And it brought me back to all those years ago when I used to watch that show when they would have all the wrestlers on to talk about the Benoit stuff, from Mark Merrow to Steve Blackman to Fit Finley and everybody else, and it would drive me up a fucking wall because this woman clearly doesn't have a fucking clue what she's talking about. Not a clue. To illustrate how, how greatly in tune with the wrestling industry this woman is. Apparently, according to this report, the Warrior was a top WWE superstar at the time of his death. Did you know that? Did you know that he was a top star in the company when he passed away? I didn't know that. At one point, she even referred to him as Ultimate, as, as though that was his first name. And, and what's worse is this, this list of wrestlers. So on the screen, they have a list of wrestlers who died young, presumably from steroid or drug abuse. Okay, that's the presumption. Owen Hart is on this list. How did Owen Hart die? He fell from the ceiling in an accident. I have never heard Owen Hart's name not one time linked to drugs, to steroids. I mean, I can't say he never did them. I don't know. But I've never heard his name linked to any of that kind of stuff. He fell in a stunt, and he died in the ring. He's on the list. Mark Curtis, whose name I recognized. Okay? 
Brian Hildebrand. That, he, that was his real name. But he was referee Mark Curtis in WCW, and he worked other places as well. Uh, he died from stomach and bowel cancer many years ago. And they used to have the tribute shows in his honor after he passed away. Nothing to do with steroids or drugs or anything nefarious or evil or suspect or anything like that. He's on the list. Apparently, Joey Morello was on the list as well. I didn't catch his name on there, uh, but apparently he was on that list, and that was also an accident. He fell asleep at the wheel of his car on the New Jersey Turnpike after a long TV taping. I think, actually, Harvey Whippleman was, was in the passenger seat, uh, but he was buckled in, and so that saved his life. But it was, it was a freak accident. He fell asleep at the wheel of his car, and he died. Nothing to do with drugs, nothing to do with steroids that we know of. So what it looks to me is her staff lifted a list from the website about.com. Because I did some searching, and there's a list on there very, very similar to the one that they put on TV. There may have been some minor differences, but for the most part, it looks like somebody who works on her show, maybe an intern or something, went on Google. They found this list of young wrestlers who died young or, or wrestling people who died young, and they said, okay, let's put this on TV, paying no attention to some of the names on the list. And everybody, all the wrestlers, everybody who has, has seen this is just furious about it. And they all say the same thing, that, that Nancy Grace, because it's her show. I don't care who put the list on TV. It's your fucking show. Your name is on the show. And so she should own up to it. She should apologize to their families. It was a really uh, shitty thing for them to do to include those people, kind of lump them in that same category. And I agree, 100%. DDP was on the show. She was his guest, his big wrestling guest on the show. And I'm watching this and I'm going, why would DDP even agree to go on this woman's show? And when the segment was over, he posted a statement on his Facebook page. It said, I went on Nancy Grace last night expecting to discuss Warrior the Man. Had I known the only topic discussed would be steroids, I would not have participated. At the time, I was also unaware of the list that was shown to the viewing audience. To imply that all of the wrestlers on that list died from steroids was wrong, and for that they owe the families an apology. Again, my only intention was to discuss Warrior the Man and share some stories about how dedicated he was to the wrestling business. I am saddened that was not what happened, and my thoughts remain with his family. So it was an ambush. I'm sure he feels really bad about it. But still, look, he's a wrestler. I'm not. Even I know that if Nancy Grace comes calling, they want a wrestler on their show for a story like this. They're not having you on, dude, to talk about the guy's life. They don't give a fuck about the guy's life. Shouldn't that be obvious? And, and I see people are circulating this petition on, like, moveon.org and other websites, and there's, like, 15,000, 20,000 signatures trying to get Nancy Grace removed from the air. You're wasting your time, people. I'm not promoting a petition. I'm not doing anything like that because it serves no purpose. Petitions, these kind of petitions on the Internet, the only thing they do is they get these people to laugh and point and mock you. They don't accomplish anything. However, if you want to try to make an impact of some kind, if it really does bother you and you want to get them to apologize, you're not going to get her kicked off the air. But if you want to try to make some kind of difference, if you want to make your voices heard, don't circulate a petition. The easiest way, the two things you could do. First of all, you can tweet her. You can tweet. It's the official Twitter account for the show. I'm sure a lot of people have already done this, but if you want to, Send them a message and let them know how you feel. You can, you can send a tweet to at Nancy Grace HLN. That's the Twitter handle. But I'll do you one better. If you want to really 
make it very clear how you feel about this in a respectful, polite way. Okay, I'm not saying to, uh, to call these people up and start cursing them on the phone. But if you want to make your voice heard, one of the best things you can do is call the show directly. And the phone number to do that is 404-827-1500. That is the direct line, not for her, but that's the direct line for her show at the network. 404-827-1500. Let them know how you feel. Let them know that it's not right, and let them know that they owe people an apology for what they did, because it was a really scumbag thing for them to do. Enough with the petitions and all this other stuff. It's not going to do anything. You've got to contact them directly and let them know how you feel. Tweet them or call them. That's the easiest way. But what I, what I really wish would happen here, and I feel for DDP, he fell right into the trap. A lot of other people have done that before. I wish all wrestlers would agree not to appear on this woman's show. It doesn't have to be a formal thing where every wrestler comes together. It can be a very informal understanding that if Nancy Grace's show or any of those HLN shows come calling, let the answering machine pick it up. Let it go to voicemail. Or just pick up and say no. Get lost and hang up. Okay? Look at Barry Bonds in Major League Baseball. Barry Bonds was, was probably the greatest hitter of this generation, maybe of any generation, and he was breaking all kinds of records and the home run record and, and everything that that guy did. And rumors of steroid use with him were swirling. You talk about swirling. Those rumors with Barry Bonds were there for years and years and years, and everything all came unraveled, and a lot of those guys paid a very heavy price for doing steroids or being perceived to have done steroids. The Mitchell report came out. There was a lot of stuff that went down in baseball without me getting into all that stuff. But Barry Bonds was still, in a lot of ways, at the peak of his career. He was still putting up monster numbers, but he was also the most hated man in baseball at that time. This goes back many years ago when everything kind of bubbled up to the surface. And I think it was in 2007 or 2008, you know, he was on the San Francisco Giants, and the Giants uh, confirmed they were not going to bring him back for the following season. And so he filed for free agency, and his agent was all confident, you know, there's going to be a ton of interest from every major league team. Who, who wouldn't want to have Barry Bonds on their team? This guy is the greatest player of all time. And much to his chagrin, Nobody was interested in Barry Bonds. Nobody signed Barry Bonds. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. The guy was essentially, unofficially, blackballed from baseball. And it's because, and I have no doubt in my mind, that all of the owners for all 30 teams had an understanding that we're not going to sign this guy. That doesn't mean that they all hopped on a conference call and conspired and, and specifically said, we are not going to sign this guy. There was an understanding there this guy is untouchable. We don't want to have anything to do with him. And I wish that the wrestlers would have that same kind of understanding when it came to shows like this. They don't have to come together. They just have to be smart enough to realize that I know it's probably very tempting. You go on television, you get your face on TV, and you get, your, you get yourself out there. Nothing good can come from going on this woman's show. Nothing good can come from having anything to do with this creature. So just leave the creature alone and let them crawl away. That's the best thing that you could do. Now, Bonds, I think Bonds actually is now, uh, I think the Giants actually just brought him in as a, a, an instructor for spring training this year. That would be the first thing I think Barry Bonds has had anything to do with baseball in like six, seven, eight years. It took that long for somebody to finally bring him in in some kind of role. But 
I use the Barry Bonds example as, as a good example of what I wish wrestlers would do. I wish they would do the same thing, have an understanding that, listen, this is not going to serve any good purpose for us. It's not going to serve any good purpose for wrestling to go on this show. And it all goes back to her coverage of the Benoit story back in 07, okay? Talking about how Benoit may have been depressed over being demoted from the Four Horsemen to ECW. This is what she said. <laughs> being demoted from the Horsemen to ECW. I mean, I, boy, I must have been really out of the loop at that time because I had no idea. And, and, and that Jane Velez Mitchell woman who would fill in for her sometimes in some of those shows, another so-called journalist, another piece of garbage, I mean... These people are just awful. Okay, they're they're awful. They're awful human beings, and I just wish people would stay the hell away from them. There's nothing good that can come from going on their shows. Nobody watches their shows anyway, and if they come calling again, they're not looking to uh, promote what a wonderful person that X Y Z dead wrestler was. Okay, fill in the blank dead wrestler was. They don't give a shit. They have an agenda, and I wish people would stay the hell away from them. Holy cow. Dominic, let me start with you. What's your take uh, of that commentary about Nancy Grace? I loved it, yeah. Just stay away from her and don't agree to go on the show, that's all. What you're going to do is get trapped. They're gonna, totally. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna ask questions and try to get you painted into a corner so that you give the answers that they want to hear. And that puts... You know, that puts the bad mouth on wrestling. Just don't agree to go on there. That's all. Like Bill Mushnick. Oh, yeah, that that guy. Okay. All right. What about you, JJ? What's your take? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously she has an agenda when she brings these guests on there. She has her side, and that's the only side. And I didn't watch the show, but much like uh, it pointed out in that piece, uh, my internet pretty much exploded on Twitter, on social media, of people mentioning the Owen Hart incident. And we, we obviously, as wrestling fans, we all know what happened to Owen and the horrible stunt that went wrong. He did not die of steroids. I mean, just the fact that he was a part of the list. And whoever, whoever was her producers, her intern, her staff, her herself, whoever gathered this list of wrestlers who died, they didn't, you know, realize, well, why did they die? And especially a name like Owen, who's so, you know, beloved, it was such a horrible incident, and fans still remember it to this day, the fact that it would even be mentioned. It drove people crazy, and they were very pissed off about it. And I think, I don't know if it was on uh, the King Jordan radio page, or if I don't know if it was on the Twitter, but I saw someone post a Internet meme saying, oh, the Undertaker's streak died. It must have been steroids. So, I mean, obviously, she, she's not, she, there's no credibility. It's just a disgrace. As he pointed out, it was garbage and trash, and I just, I've said too much already. I, that's the last I want to even say of Nancy, disgrace. And your take, Blackjack. The news media isn't what it was. It's it's what it was, but they just sensationalize on these things, you know, especially when it comes to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's all they, they, they're they worrying about with, with these things. Steroid thing is like one of the main things through uh, wrestling and through basketball and through baseball. You will always hear about that. You will always be hearing about death. Uh, and, and the wrestling, 
you you get a uh, uh, the um, uh, heart disease, cardiovascular heart disease comes from using uh, tremendous tremendous amounts of, of steroids. So that's where a lot of stuff stuff is going to be coming from as far as uh, worry is death. You know what I'm saying? In my uh, umpteenth years following wrestling, I lost a lot of friends during this course of wrestlers that have died due to the um, heart thing with the steroids, you know. And it's, and it's a chance that they want to take for that um for that short time in their lives, you know, to live so greatly, you know what I'm saying? But um, a, lot of, a lot of the wrestlers have died from that. And as like I said, they got other people that, other sports, they take low doses of that stuff, you know? So um, they can live a little bit longer, but the uh, uh, lifespan with steroids was like about maybe like 30 at one time and then 40 and then 50, up until 50. He was 54 years old. Um, he wasn't active taking that stuff anymore. But um, it's still, as they say, from what I hear from some people, I don't know 100%, but it still form- formulates in their system as far as their hearts and their artery. You know, so... Uh, and then for what he was doing, um, coming back to the, the way he did after 20 years, I mean, he could have been doing staying low for another 20 years maybe, you know. Maybe it wouldn't have affected him. But that weekend, I mean, as little as it was, he, he really did a lot, you know. Oh, that um, um, being around in, in the crowd and reactions and, you know, your heart pumps a certain way and you get high blood pressure, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if he had a uh, pass a physical to, to be at Hall of Fame, I don't think he would have passed, you know? But there's probably a lot of guys that are in that situation that wouldn't have passed the uh, uh, physical and stuff to, to be at Mania. That's why yeah. they even wanted Hogan to be a part in the beginning, uh, wrestling in a, in a match with, with, against Cena and tagging with Cena. And then they, you saw how it went with, with Hogan and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it is what it is. And there's a lot of people, uh, J.J., that think that speech that he gave on Raw, Warrior I'm talking about, uh, was very eerie uh, when he's mentioned, you know, your heart beats only a couple more, something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I remember that speech. It was uh, it was very eerie, and uh, a lot of fans were were talking about it. They had uh, photos, uh, internet memes. Again, every man's heart one day beats its final beat. His lungs breathe their final breath, and if what a man did in his life makes the blood pulse through the body of others and makes them believe in something larger than life his essence and spirit will be immortalized. And, you know, Warrior was immortalized in the Hall of Fame. He's immortalized in the wrestling fans, in their minds, and in their hearts. And, you know, he'll always be remembered. But nobody, nobody could have imagined on that Monday Night Raw that that would be the last thing that he ever said uh, to a wrestling audience and he would pass away the next day. It was very eerie. And even during the tribute uh, that opening video, if you saw on Monday Night Raw yesterday, that opening video, they had a lot of these great moments of the Warrior, and then they even replayed that footage that uh, of his voice, of him saying that speech, 
and I got chills. It was just, it was, it, oh my God, it was a very surreal moment. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it sure was. It was totally unbelievable, totally unexpected. But at the end of the day, whether you hated the Ultimate Warrior, whether you loved the Ultimate Warrior, there's uh, some people that you must feel bad for, and that is his wife, Dana, and his two lovely children. And if you saw his children, uh, they they really loved him, and that was their father, for better or for worse. And uh, you could only feel bad. I mean, they loved their father. I mean, King, you know, I was hoping that at a certain point, maybe this is all all a work. But then you you see the capacity of, of, of fans and and the daughters, basically, you know, his wife, and um, it turned out not not to be a, a, a work, as they say, you know, because there's been many times when the for a lot of fans and people who just follow wrestling, they thought that the warrior had been dead already. But for him to come out uh, at the time that he did, they saw that he was alive, and then uh, he dies. You know, so it, it took a lot of people but by shock, you know? Oh, no question. And uh, you might have to get Pearl Jr. on the case on that one. But uh, um, absolutely. The warrior had been out of the spotlight. He wrestled back a few years ago against Orlando Jordan. It was a horrible match. Let's say if he would have died, let's say, even five or ten years ago, he wouldn't have had this impact. You know what I'm saying? Right. The fact that he was in the WWE and he did sign a uh, some kind of contract. Yeah. What kind of contract was it that he signed? It's the same thing that... uh, they they brought the uh, the warrior and Sting for and and Stone Cold. I, I forgot exactly what it's called, but uh, oh, it's, it's a different contract from a wrestling contract. Yeah, he yeah. Sting he had to do those David. games and and stuff like that. Yeah, and a couple of things. Though. Sting did post a beautiful picture uh, of uh, him and Warrior from 1985. And wow, what a difference uh, uh, this uh, this picture was. But I want to take us to another clip. This is about the Warrior, and uh, at times you're going to hear some things that the Warrior did that you might not like to hear. But uh, let's play it. It's uh, very good. It's called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of the Ultimate Warrior. Let's take a listen. The big news of the week, obviously, is not anything that happened on Raw or anything like that, although there was a lot of big stuff that happened. Uh, The big story was the death of the Ultimate Warrior at 54 years of age, real name Warrior, being characterized as due to a catastrophic medical condition. Uh, That's what the authorities said. There's no indication of what that means. could speculate on what that means, but we don't know yet. I know they did an autopsy on Thursday did not reveal any obvious cause of death, so they're doing additional tests. We probably won't know for another two or three weeks exactly what killed him, but I'm sure once that news leaks, TMZ, I'm sure we'll be all over it. So we'll find out uh, fairly shortly, I think, what the deal is with, uh, with Warrior. What happened is there were people who, I guess, witnessed what went down. He had flown back home to 
to Arizona. And I, I think they had, uh, him and his family, they had two homes, one in Arizona. He's lived in Arizona for, for as long as I can remember. But I think they also had a, a house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I don't know if they were staying uh, in Arizona full-time or New Mexico full-time, but they were back in Arizona. They were at a hotel, and he and his wife were walking to their car when, uh, according to witnesses, he clutched his chest, collapsed on the ground, and then died en route to the hospital. TMZ reports that WWE has sent two high-level employees, executives, to Warriors Home in Arizona to assist the family doing things like grocery shopping and things of that nature so that uh, Warriors' wife Dana can spend some time with their two uh, young daughters just to help ease the burden, I guess. This is a really shitty time for them, obviously. And uh, WWE trying to, uh, to do what they can, I guess, to make it a little bit easier on them. They have announced that Raw this coming Monday will pay tribute to the Ultimate Warrior in some form. I don't know if it's a, a Warrior tribute show or, if, or, I mean, I would imagine it's not going to be wall-to-wall Warrior coverage and, and matches. Uh, it's probably be something I would guess where every time they go to commercial, they show a wrestler talking about the Warrior and air some clips from his matches and segments and promos over the years. That would be my guess. Uh, they're also working on a special called Warrior, the Ultimate Legend. That will air this Wednesday on the WWE Network. It may be a multiple-part series, so this may just be part one airing this Wednesday, maybe with another part airing next week. Uh, Again, they haven't specified. They had a camera crew, WWE did, following Warrior and his family all over the place, WrestleMania weekend. They were filming them uh, before the Hall of Fame, at the Hall of Fame, at WrestleMania, uh, probably the next night as well at Raw, would be my guess. I don't know how much, if any, of that footage will be in that special. I'd have to think that uh, there would be footage from what they were shooting in that uh, network special, uh, but there's no there's no telling how much of that we'll ever see the light of day. Uh, it's it's just a really shitty story all around. I mean, it was a, a real kick to the gut, and I think what was more shocking about it than anything else was the timing of it. And when you pay attention, and I played some of the audio at the beginning of the show in in the intro, but when you pay attention to the words that he was speaking in his promo on Raw Monday night. You know, where he says, no WWE talent becomes a legend on their own. Every man's heart one day beats its final beat. His lungs breathe a final breath. Uh, Really eerie stuff. And the timing of everything where he was on the outs with the company for so long. I don't want to say he was in exile. If anything, he was in self-imposed exile. uh, Because I'm sure at any point, if he wanted to come back and make some money and do something with the company, there could have been a peace brokered between he and Vince McMahon. Uh, Vince has, has done the same thing with Hogan and a whole bunch of other people. Although he and the Warrior have had a lot of legal squabbles over the years, and then that DVD that came out 10 years ago, if you listen to his Hall of Fame speech, clearly that DVD still stuck in his craw to this day. Uh, they have a new DVD they just released. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's a lot more complimentary, and they have clips from the Warrior himself. The first one was just a total hit piece. Not, not to say that everything in that DVD was not true, uh, I have the DVD, and there was a lot of truth to it, but clearly it was done as a hit piece on The Warrior. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and that still bothered him a lot. But he was essentially in exile for, I think, 18 years. Uh, he did some wrestling stuff. He had started to do some convention stuff. He had that match with Orlando Jordan, I think, in Spain uh, back in 2008. You can find it on YouTube. He did not look uh, very good at all in that clip. Uh, I don't think anybody was expecting Warrior to come back and wrestle a match. I think it was pretty obvious he he wasn't going to be able to do that. 
I didn't notice it so much at the Hall of Fame. I was in the arena, uh, and they didn't really show shots of him up on the screen. They just had the Hall of Fame logo. You had to look up, and I mean, he looked fine. It was Raw the next night that I really noticed. Uh, how badly he was moving around. It almost looked like, I don't know if he had a knee replaced at some point. He had, it looked like he had some problems with his knees because he was walking very awkwardly. It was almost like he was he was doing the Kali walk. Like, watch the way the great Kali walks to the ring and, and look at the way the warrior was walking down that ramp on Monday night. Uh, he didn't look good in that respect, but otherwise, I don't think anybody would have ever predicted that this guy was on the verge of a heart attack. You know, when he comes in the ring and he does that heavy breathing, I just chalk that up to him doing the Ultimate Warrior shtick. When the Warrior used to come out back in the day, he would also do that heavy breathing, and I figured, okay, he's he's getting into Ultimate Warrior mode, so it didn't really cross my mind that there may be something wrong in that respect. Uh, maybe people watching on TV felt differently. Uh, but for for him to come back after so many years away and make peace with Vince McMahon and make peace Seemingly with Hulk Hogan, there was a photo that Hogan posted on Twitter from backstage with him and Warrior and Pat Patterson all together smiling. And uh, Jake Roberts said that he and Warrior had buried uh, a hatchet because there had been some uh, back and forth between the two of them in recent weeks on Twitter, and so they buried that hatchet. And it just looked like he was able to put a lot of that angst with a lot of people to bed. Maybe not with Ted DiBiase. Uh, If you watch the Hall of Fame, that, that much was obvious, and I know DiBiase doesn't really... Uh, care for him very much, but after all that stuff, and for him to come back and to be on Raw for the first time since 1996, cutting an Ultimate Warrior promo, and he had just signed a contract, he even said to be a brand ambassador for the company, and then the very next day he drops dead, and it's just one of those things you can't explain, I mean, the timing is just, it's shitty in some ways, but in other ways, you're almost happy for the guy. You're almost happy that he was able to come back one last time before uh, this happened and to put a lot of that bad blood to bed with a lot of people and to have that one last chance to go out there and make an appearance and be honored and cut an old-school Ultimate Warrior promo and and do all the things that he did. It was cool. It was cool that he had uh, the chance to do that before it all came to an end. And when I think of the Ultimate Warrior, you know, I think back to... When I was a kid, I'm sure a lot of you guys are the same way, the biggest match of my childhood was Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania Six. It's still to this day one of my favorite WrestleMania matches. I was a big Hulkamaniac as a kid. I wasn't really a Warrior fan so much, which is, which is a little odd because I still have somewhere buried in my closet the old Ultimate Warrior wrestling buddy. And my brother, who was more of a Warrior fan than a Hogan fan, has the, uh, the Hulk Hogan one. So I don't know why that is, uh, but we do. I have the Warrior one, he has the Hogan one, and we used, to, you know, we used to beat the crap out of each other with him and all that kind of stuff. And I was rooting for Hogan in that match at Sky Dome, and I, I don't remember actually sitting there watching the match live. I know I did, uh, but I, I just remember being so stunned that Hulk Hogan actually lost the match at WrestleMania, which at that time was just unheard of. Uh, I don't count, you know, the, the match with Andre at four where they both got disqualified. And it was a big deal. I mean, that match was a huge deal to a young wrestling fan back then. And only years later, you know, you read old newsletters from back then uh, and even, like, on the wrestling news groups. If you really dig back, if you do, like, Google searches and stuff, you'll find, like, Internet posts uh, from many, many years ago, people talking about that match and what was going on back then. 
and and people were stunned by how good the match was. And I watched the match back now, and it, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it was a great match. It wasn't a great wrestling match, but to see those two guys go in there and have the kind of match they had was pretty incredible. Uh, because by all rights, the match should not have been as good as it was, but uh, I enjoyed it a lot as a kid. I enjoy it a lot when I watch it back now. And so the Warrior, to me, he he had a lot of good matches in his career. People dump on him a lot because, oh, he came down, he got blown up, he could only do a few moves. Uh, Warrior was not Bret Hart. He was not Shawn Michaels. He was not supposed to be. He was this big, jacked-up, muscled-up dude who came out wearing face paint and tassels, came out like a maniac. One of, one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. Uh, WWE used to have a show here in New York that aired on the MSG Network where they would air old MSG house shows. Now now they do it on the network, I guess. And I wish I remembered the date of the show, but it was a, a Madison Square Garden house show where the Ultimate Warrior, I want to say, teamed up with LOD against all three members of Demolition. I think that was the match. This would have been probably from 90, 90 or 91. Warrior comes down to the ring like a bat out of hell, and there's a some poor ring technician <laughs> ringside. As the Warrior starts to circle the ring, he just steamrolls over this guy. And it's the funniest thing. Because I used to go back and rewind it and fast forward it and rewind it because the guy's hair, like when the warrior runs into him, he goes one way, his hair goes in the opposite direction. I mean, he just got barreled over. It was the funniest thing. Uh, I don't know if he got hurt or not, but he was just a maniac. You know, He would come out full of energy. Uh, he would run around like a crazy man. And for all the wrestlers on that DVD and, and other people who have mocked the Warrior and made fun of him and said, oh, his matches sucked and, and this and that. Boy, you know, you get an awful lot of wrestlers who, who love to, to imitate the Ultimate Warrior in some ways. And Batista has talked fondly about him. And uh, Batista even said he had a chance to finally tell him this weekend that he basically stole his rope shake from the Warrior. Uh, there's a lot of wrestlers who were influenced by the Warrior and Hogan and guys like that when they were kids. Don't, don't let them fool you when they, uh, if they say otherwise. And my favorite Warrior matches, because I, I was thinking to myself, you know, what would I classify as my top three favorite Ultimate Warrior matches? And it would have to be, and I'm not putting them in order, but it would have to be the rematch with Rick Rude at SummerSlam 89. Uh, that year, Rude beat him for the Intercontinental Belt at WrestleMania. They had a rematch. The rematch was a lot better than their WrestleMania match. Uh, it was a really, really good match. And Rick Rude had a lot to do with that. Rude was awesome. Rude was Warrior's... I would say that Rick Rude was probably Warrior's best opponent. I know some people might say Savage. It's, it's kind of neck and neck between the two of them. But I, I would go with Rude. The, uh, the WrestleMania 7 match with Savage, obviously a great match. The post-match was great, too. Everything about that I loved. And uh, the WrestleMania 6 match with Hogan. I think those are my three favorite Warrior matches. I think those two WrestleMania matches are probably the two most iconic matches of his career. I think a lot of people would like to just forget about the rematch with Hogan in WCW and just pretend that it never happened uh, because it was that awful. And, uh, you know, he, he said in his, in his Hall of Fame speech, uh, as he did in other interviews before, that his father walked out on him and his family when he was 12 years old and, and never looked back. And you could tell that that bothered him because he would, he would mention it. And, and just when he would mention it, you, you could tell that he was annoyed by that. He would say, never paying any attention to any kind of financial support or anything like that. And his daughters are right around that same age now. And now they have no father. And that's the part that really, really sucks. 
You know, he brought them out with him on stage at the Hall of Fame, and it's just a really shitty situation. And talking about him here on the Sound Off brings mixed emotions to me, so I apologize if this kind of goes all over the place, but that's probably the most legit way for me to do this since this is how I really feel. You know, it's one thing for me to have all these wonderful things to say about Warrior and all the memories from when I was a kid and, and how it's another part of my childhood gone. It was all about Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and the Ultimate Warrior when I was a kid. Those were the three guys. And now two-thirds of that equation are gone. But I, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't bring up the other side of the man and some of the outrageous things that he has said about other people a lot of times during tough times in their lives. You know, this is a man who, when Heath Ledger died, suggested that it was a good thing he died because he was a negative influence on his young daughter. And, and talking about the queer movie he did is what I think he called it, Brokeback Mountain. He said the guy's kid was better off with her father being dead because he used drugs. Bobby Heenan. I've made no secret of the fact that Bobby Heenan is the best manager in wrestling history. He's one of my all-time favorites. It was really cool for me to have a chance to meet him two years ago in Miami. Love Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan has been through a lot of shit in his life. In, in the last 10, 15 years, he has been to hell and back with throat cancer. And he's beaten throat cancer. He has, he has beaten it, but at a price. Anybody who sees Bobby Heenan now can tell the price that that guy has paid. And the Warrior had, you know, when it comes to Bobby Heenan, I understand he's probably very upset about comments that Heenan made on that DVD many years ago. And I, I think that Heenan probably means it because – you get the impression from other interviews that he's done that Bobby Heenan just did not like the Ultimate Warrior. He worked with him a lot, and I think on the DVD he said he would get hurt a lot. Heenan would when he would work with Warrior. He was clumsy, he was reckless, and all this other kind of stuff. That's how he really felt, and there probably was a lot of truth to that. So I understand Warrior maybe doesn't like Bobby Heenan, doesn't look at him as being his most favorite person in the world, but the guy at the time is going through cancer. And he called him a two-faced bag of shit, he says he's dying and diseased on the inside. And I found the quote. He said, imagine what it will be like lying there, taking in your last breaths, knowing you hoard yourself out your entire life. Not even Vince could come up with a better finish than this. Karma is just a beautiful thing to behold. That's what he said about Bobby Heenan when Heenan was, was basically dying of cancer. Okay? He referred to Draz, Darren Drozdov as the cripple. That's what he called him, the cripple. And I remember JBL go, I think it was on Bite This when they still had the audio show on WWE.com. And, and you know, now, of course, JBL has all these wonderful things to say about the Ultimate Warrior, but I remember JBL going on uh, Bite This and tearing the Warrior a new one. I mean, he, he just laced into the Ultimate Warrior after he heard that. Because Draz was well-liked by, by pretty much everybody at that time, and it was a horrible thing that happened to him when he got paralyzed. And Warrior goes around calling him a cripple. The stuff he said after Hurricane Katrina and about the city of New Orleans not being a good place and being a cesspool and all the people there being fat and whatnot, which is quite the double standard when you consider that he accepted an invitation into the Hall of Fame in New Orleans. In fact, his final three appearances all took place in the very city he condemned. 
I've mentioned his appearance at Hofstra University many years ago when I was still in college. I met him afterwards. It was, uh, I guess the Young Republicans brought him in to do a, uh, a speech, and he did a Q&A session afterwards that got very testy. Students came up and were asking him questions, and people brought up steroids, and, and not in any sort of disrespectful way. I mean, there was nobody who I think was out of line in their questioning, but boy, that I mean, some of these questions just set the guy off. Warrior was threatening to put students through tables and beat them up and all this kind of wacky stuff. And, I mean, at the end of it, I went up to him, and he was as nice as could be. Got a photo with him, shook his hand. You know, he was nice enough to me, even if he wasn't always to others. And and it was a thrill for me because, again, one half of the WrestleMania 6 main event that I grew up on as a kid you know, is standing right here, and I had a chance to meet him. So it was a cool moment. But, you know, you can't ignore some of the other things about his life. I, I, I get that there's a time and a place for it, but I can't sit here and talk about this guy's life in glowing terms without mentioning some of this other shit that does bother me. Because he said a, really, a lot of really nasty shit about a lot of people over the years. Stuff that was really out of line. And that's just the kind of person he was. And I, I believe that he meant every word of it. He meant every single word of it. He wore his heart on his sleeve. I've never seen a more intense guy than him. You go and see some of the videos that, you know, he used to put YouTube videos out on his own channel that are still out there if you want to go find him. His workouts. I mean, the guy was the most intense person I've ever seen in my life. That's who he was. So I can appreciate him for that, but you've got to take the good with the bad. And so I want to wrap up here with uh, some audio that I'm going to play for you. This is the Warrior in his own words from just a few years ago. You're going to hear the first few seconds of this and the words that he uses, and you're going to think, wow, given the way that he died or, or may have died. But I want to play it because it's actually some of the most motivational stuff I've ever heard come out of the man's mouth. And he said a lot of far-out stuff over the years, but I think there's a lot of truth in what he's saying here. And I think it sums up the Ultimate Warrior better than anything I could ever say. So with that being said, and, and fair warning, there is some foul language here. But with that being said, I give you the Warrior in his own words. Many of you, many people in this world would be better off if they had a heart attack. If they didn't survive it, then they would be removed from the misery of their lives the misery that they see their lives as being every fucking day, every fucking minute, every fucking hour, bitching and whining and complaining about having this great fucking thing called life. I mean, is that so outrageous? Is that so insane? Is that so crazy to think my fucking life having it, man, is awesome? Is it? I think if you think it is, I think you're fucking pathetic. I think you're less than human, less than being a human being. And if you did survive, those of you who would be better off having a heart attack, then maybe, like many of the other people who write their stories after they suffer a tragedy or suffer a serious illness like a heart attack or cancer, they finally come to the realization after wasting decades and decades of their life, there is something special 
about being alive. Every morning you wake up, there are two doors. Behind one lies your destiny and living. Behind the other lies death. Being alive, having breath, your heart pumping blood, you being able to see through your eyes, that's not living. That's being alive. Living is engaging your life with intensity and passion. People ask me, what, warrior, what are you passionate about? It finally came to me years ago. You know what I'm passionate about? I'm passionate about fucking passion. I'm passionate about intensity. All the self-help books, all the motivational books, the inspirational tools that you can buy, the bottom line in them is do the work. Once you get through all the pages and all the rules and all the principles and all the formats and all the plans and all the templates, it comes down to that. Do the fucking work. And sometimes the only way to go about doing the work is get fucking raw and get fucking intense. Get angry and aggressive and make it fucking happen for yourself. You can start today. I don't care when your life clock started ticking. You can start fucking right now today. My advice, fucking do it. Do it. Fucking do it. Dig fucking deep and get it done. Do the work of your life. Wow. He was one of a kind, that's for sure. He will be missed. Oh, my God. JJ, what is your thoughts on the many faces of Ultimate Warrior? Well, I think that's just the thing is, you know, a lot of the fans who watch the WWE, you only see the superstars that you you see them for what they're presented on television. You see them as characters. You see them as their larger-than-life personas. You don't really see the human beings. So a lot of fans, they don't know a lot of the, the things, as he was mentioning, about Warrior and the personal things he said about, you know, people. They just remember that guy who had that match with Hogan at WrestleMania six. They remember that guy who had that match against Randy Savage. There's a lot of other things that they don't know about the real man that maybe if they did know, maybe they might not be honoring him today. But at the same time, you know, he was going through a difficult time. He had a... He was upset about some of the things that were said about him, and forgiveness is a hard thing to uh, to earn, to get back, and to to give. And you know, he was upset at Bobby Heenan. He was upset at a lot of people, and he, you know, didn't you know mix his words. You know, if he was upset with someone, he went out there and he just passionately, intensely went out there, and he could have you know gave a damn. He was, this is karma. You're getting what you deserve. And a lot of people might look at that and say, well, that makes him a, an awful person or awful human being. But when you're in that person's shoes, you don't know what's going on with Warrior. Why does he feel that way? Why is he saying this? You know, I, he must have had his reasons if he was that upset. Maybe he, felt, maybe he felt justified at the time. But as we pointed out, you know, during the Hall of Fame, you know, he made peace with Jake Roberts. They had this unnecessary Twitter war where, you know, uh, you know, DDP's trying to rehabilitate, you know, Jake, and 
all these guys and Warrior said that that was kind of cool, and uh, you know he got a chance to speak with Jake at the Hall of Fame, and they were able to put a lot of that bitterness, a lot of that anger behind them. Same with Hogan. All the things Hogan said about Warrior, and you know Warrior never you know mixed words with uh, Hogan either. He, you know he always went after him. He didn't have anything real nice to say, but because he felt justified in saying that due to all the things Hogan said about him. So it's just this situation where this back and forth. But you know, eventually they were to put that you know behind them. They were to make peace, and that's where they're at now. So you know, to talk about all the things Warrior did in his past and the things he said and whatever reasons he had for saying them, you know, the man just died. We're here to remember him and the, the legacy he had on fans and the good that you know that's within us and his memories. And we just want to focus on that right now. There'll be a time and a place to go over a lot of those things and the nitpick on this and that. But right now the man just died a week ago. We're just focused on remembering and honoring him. I, uh, I'm enjoying what everybody's doing with him this week on the network, and I think that's cool. You know, whether or not people want to now bring him out and say, oh, the man was a hypocrite and all this stuff. Well, like I said, the man just died. It's not about nitpicking. It's not about calling this dead man all these things. The man that has children and to insult him, you might as well be insulting his children. You know, let it be for now. Just let it rest. It's still very fresh in a lot of people's minds. But, uh, you know, he brings up the point. But at the same time, you know, I, I would much rather focus on the positives and the, the memories that I have of the Ultimate Warrior. It may not be of the warrior, the man, but it's of the character, the character that he brought life into. And that's what I remember of the Ultimate Warrior. No question. What about you, Dominic? Well, the memories I got of the Ultimate Warrior, I'll be totally and brutally honest, he wasn't one of my favorites in the ring. To me, he showed me absolutely nothing. But you don't want to see a guy die. He put asses in the seats. He sold out arenas, especially what they showed on Monday Night Raw with Hogan and all of that stuff. He, he right. did all that, and he... he he did it and proved that he could do it in a way other other than wrestling by charisma, running to the ring and yeah, granted he used to get all blown up and huffing and puffing, but he did put asses in the seats. And when I heard his speech on Monday Night Raw, it sounded like he was giving his own eulogy. The last heartbeat, the last breath in every man, and I'm going, he sounds like he knows he's going to die almost. Yeah. By the way he was talking, and I says, but, and, you know, like that clip said, he was. I thought he was going into warrior mode, because as yeah. warrior, he always did that. And, and people, people want to see that. I remember when I interviewed George Steele on my hotline, he was talking regular. And I said, George, people people may not believe that you're George Steele. And he says, you never know when George the Animal Steele is going to come out. And then he started doing a couple of hey you. And he was really convincing. But as Jim Myers, if I heard it, I would say that it's not George Steele. Oh, yeah. George Steele is definitely two, two different people uh, yep. as far as uh, his gimmick and then when uh, when you talk to him in person, yeah. uh, wasn't he a uh, professor? 
At one point in his hey, life, was teacher. A, he, yeah, he was he was a college uh, phys ed teacher. Yeah, you doing calisthenics and him looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, Blackjack, your take on Jim Helwig, Ultimate Warrior. In, in this business of wrestling, you got always some kind of inner squabbles with people. He wasn't the only one. I mean, there are people in present day of wrestling, um, even Vincent uh, Hogan, uh, the Bad Age Outlaws, Outlaws, I guess Triple H. They were on on this um, YouTube stuff. I seen that they were blasting the, the crap out of uh, Triple H and and what he done and stuff like that. And then you see them as, as best friends, you know. They they do make up at you know, and some do and some don't. This is just like an inner squabble with things um, beyond the point, you know. And those things do happen. Some of them hold a grudge to the grave. You, you got videos that uh, you don't forget all that stuff. You can play it back at, at any time and, and rehash the the, the 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 heat that's going on between the, these people. But then they in time. They they seem to uh, forget about things and bury the hatchet, and that's what they was able to do with Warrior and with Hogan, and uh, life goes on. I mean, there's a lot of truth in what Warrior was saying. Yeah, no question. And uh, I guess uh, as we stick to wrestling, uh, Sting. Uh, Dominic, uh, you weren't here last week. We were talking about, he said his new favorite number is 31. And a lot of people took that to mean he's going to be at WrestleMania 31. What did you hear and what do you think about uh, that that point with Sting, Dominic? Well, I read something on the Internet that they're going to keep Sting off TV now for a whole year until next year's WrestleMania gets closer. Because, to be honest with you, I thought they were going to make Sting be the guy to take undertake a streak. Yeah, right. Come in and do that and Taker would retire. Maybe Sting would hang around for a little <clears throat> bit and he would eventually retire. I didn't, I didn't think at all for one minute it was going to be Brock. I really didn't. I said, they're saving anybody that could beat the streak. I said, they're saving that, that part for Sting. That's what I really thought. And Sting's signs were taken away on Monday Night Raw. I read that today on, on, on the Internet. I mm-hmm. did see a couple. Then I didn't see them anymore. And uh, they they obviously confiscated the, the Sting signs, the two or three that I saw. Then they weren't there no more. That's terrible. Freedom of speech, you know, taking away yep. somebody's signs. You know, it's a, unless they're cursing or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Something really bad. You know, why the hell did I have to take away someone's sign? That that's just terrible. Now last terrible. week I was watching Impact. I was watching T and um, um, uh, Spike TV, and I was watching uh, Impact. And I saw a guy walking down the middle aisle with a Daniel Bryan shirt on. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> and he kept it on. They didn't give him a different shirt to put on over it. They they just ignored it. And I saw a guy with a go-to-sleep uh, shirt, the uh, CM Punk uh, black and yellow with the white trimming on it. 
he was sitting in the audience with that, and the TNA people didn't do anything about it. WWE just just don't like that. And uh, I don't know if you heard, TNA will be in the New York City area for the taping. Yeah, they're going to be doing some tapings in New York. In June, in the Manhattan Center, where ECW had their last pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. The original ECW. So uh, that will be interesting. But what I found interesting yesterday, uh, WWE showed Kurt Angle in one of the YouTube videos. I noticed that, yep. I noticed that, too. So his contract's up in September, so uh, we shall see. Whose contract? Kurt Angle. Angle. That's what I thought you said. Yeah, they showed Kurt Angle getting beat up. By the real Americans, it was a uh, a mix-up of some kind of YouTube, uh, is what I saw. So uh, we'll have to see. I was thinking, though, next year, maybe Sid could be also one of the guys you have in the Hall of Fame. I think Sid would be a good Hall of Fame guy. Yeah. You know, he's done a lot. He was around at the WrestleCon in um, New Orleans. I got a chance to see Sid. You know, there's a lot of guys that belong in there, like Ivan Koloff belongs in there. And he's oh, not. Yeah. Oh, the, the ravishing Rick Rude belongs there. Yep. And the Steiner Brothers. Steiner Brothers belong here. Oh, the Steiner uh, Brothers. I'm surprised they didn't put them in already. Yeah. Brutus Beefcake belongs there. Not your name. I don't think Brutus Beefcake belongs in there. I don't think Honky Tonk Man belongs in there. You know who I think is going to be there next year? Who's that? Macho Man. I hope so. That's 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 a long, far gone issue. He should have been there long ago. At that um, in um, New Orleans, mm. and the, the way they're putting things together there leads me to believe that Macho Man. Will probably be inducted next year. I'd love be to see that, the and I, I want to see Owen Hart go in there. I think he will. Next Owen year. Hart died for this. Bit. Yeah, they got his family, you know, as part of the organization there. You know, with Brett and Jim Neidhart, I, I seen uh, Natalia, and um, I think he's got an excellent chance. I hope so. Definitely. I mean, they've been doing a lot of stuff with Owen lately. I mean, they did an exclusive at WrestleMania Rewind, which is on the WWE Network, in which it's a special highlighting WrestleMania, and one of the matches they focused on was Brett and Owen. So, I mean, the WWE is starting to use footage of Owen Hart again. You know, they're starting to put him in their magazine. So it wouldn't be surprised if you see Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame next year. Right now, it's got things to do with with the wife. Uh, She's the the, the main, uh, unless she changes her her mind of how she feels, um, it's not going to happen. Just uh, from what I understand, it's her that um, don't want him to be inducted. Who's this? Uh, Owen Hart's wife. 
Yeah, right, I did hear there was some trouble uh, with that, and I heard that the Apostle said the same thing about Macho Man. Yeah, but um, I, I saw Lenny Poffo at the uh, in, in, in the uh, at the event in New Orleans. So he's definitely on talking terms with with uh, the people who get um, wrestlers inducted. He's working on it. Good. They're working together. I did like though what Warrior suggested to have a uh, an award for the guy that nobody cares about. I forgot what name he called it. You remember, J.J., what I'm talking yeah, about? He wants something with the crew, and he mentioned one of the guys he should be named after, something to honor the guys who we don't really see very often, the guys who help make wrestling wrestling, and that's the people who build the sets and put the ring together, things like that. So whether or not they actually put some thought into it, I mean, it would be a, a nice nod to the warrior, but uh, whether or not they go through with that, I'm not sure. Yeah, like pay tribute to the people you don't see, the people yeah. who set up the ring and uh, work on little to no sleep. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. those people deserve a lot of credit, uh, he was saying, and he gave them props. And uh, let's see if, uh, you know, I guess, though, like his last his last message is that forgiveness can be happening. And uh, we should all forgive uh, because we know he did have uh, deep hatred towards Vince McMahon and company. And if uh, that hatred can be forgiven, anything could be. So uh, that's that. So uh, next month is uh, we have TNA pay-per-view, right? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the live one. Right. I think in the, and uh, coming up on one of these Fridays is uh, one of the pre-taped ones also. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, and we have the WWE pay-per-view. What do you expect to see, JJ, from the next pay-per-view? Well, we're expecting to see possibly Daniel Bryan taking on Kane, they sort of teased that Kane is going to be the monster again. He might be wearing the mask again, and uh, he'll probably have a match against Daniel Bryan for the title. We might also see uh, Evolution, Triple H, Randy Orton, Batista back together taking on The Shield. So we may see also a rematch between John Cena and Bray Wyatt, which I believe that was confirmed. The only match confirmed for Extreme Rules for now is John Cena versus Bray Wyatt inside a steel cage so that the Wyatt family members can't interfere. And I think the finals for the for the IC uh, title, I think that's going to be at the pay-per-view. Yeah, that that should be against yeah, Langston. Whoever wins that tournament takes on Big E. Yeah, to me, there's no question. Cesaro will... Uh, will win that match. It looks like they're yeah, going to be pushing. Yeah, I think too. Yeah. Yeah. It's another guy from Ring of Honor. Yep, <laughs> that's <Cesaro>. right. <laughs> it's amazing, uh, as Ring of Honor pointed out, how many guys uh, came from Ring of Honor that are doing so well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Cesaro, even CM Punk. 
and that's just the WWE. That's not even including guys like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels, and Austin Aries. So many guys came from Ring of Honor and have done great things outside of it. Yeah, and Samoa Joe came from Ring of Honor. Even the other guy that was in TNA, uh, that was Nigel McGuinness. That's right. Yeah. What was his name in TNA? I always forget. Desmond Wolf. Yeah, that's it. Desmond Wolf. Yep. He was he was very good. He had a good run with Kurt in TNA. Yeah. Oh yeah. Something happened to him, right? What? Something happened to him. Yeah, I don't know what. They always say it was an undisclosed illness. I don't know. I think he's on some promotion now as board of directors. Oh, okay. The Ring of Ring of Honor though is uh is really uh really Oh the American good. Wolves came from Ring of Honor. They're in T and A now. Yeah, that's right. Oh really? Yeah, they've done some know. Japan too, Davy Richards and, and uh Eddie Edwards. They are excellent. Yes. Mm. And uh, Ring of Honor, yeah, is that on TV or on the internet, JJ? How, how, do, how do you see that? Well, they do have sort of Ring of Honor television, but it is on the internet, and I, I'm not sure if you have to, of course, it's like a pay-per-view, you have to pay. But uh, as far as I know, if they are on television, it's, you know, locally. It's unfortunately not, you know, everywhere. So, you know, I can't watch it here in Chicago, unfortunately. I'd love to, though. JJ, let me ask you something. What what is an eye pay per view? An eye? Yeah. It's a small eye and then PPV. I know that, um, uh, I know uh, New Japan has them every so often. Every so often, one will come out of Mexico, one will come out of Japan, uh, uh, Puerto Rico. They'll put on an eye pay per view. Does that mean well, internet pay per view? Yes, uh, an internet pay-per-view. So it's essentially instead of you know going through your Comcast or your satellite providers, they just do it exclusively on the internet. Oh, okay, okay. Then you got to pay for that for what? PayPal, uh, PayPal, or whatever. Yeah, they probably have either a PayPal service in which they charge your credit card, or you just pay exclusively through your credit card. Oh, okay. And uh, WWE was showing a movie over the weekend uh, at WrestleMania weekend, right, JJ? Um, I'm trying to think. I know they had, uh, I mentioned they did the special with Daniel Bryan, but they do have a movie coming out with WWE Studios. I think it's called Oculus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They advertised that on Raw last night. Yeah, that was, that was the whole thing uh, with that. And the Miz was there. Well, Miz has a, uh, I believe, a new Marine movie coming out. It will be The Miz, and I believe even Summer Rae will have an appearance. She will be the first diva to be featured in a WWE Studios uh, film. So The Miz and Summer Rae will be, I think, doing either The Marine 4 or The Marine 5. Uh, so they, they're working on, a, on the movie right now. That's one of the reasons why Summer Rae isn't on Raw right now and that Layla replaced her because she's off filming the movie with The Miz. Totally unbelievable. And uh, also, uh, Mr. T, oh, my God. If you saw the live feed of Mr. T, 
this guy did not come up for air. He did not shut up about his mama. <laughs> I mean, what they showed on Raw and what they showed on the actual live feed is night and day. And that goes yeah. for all the, all the guys. It was uh, they 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 sliced it up nicely, and you know you couldn't tell uh, one yeah, from the did, other. Yeah, they Because Jeff Jeff Sheridan, my buddy, saw it on the network, mm-hmm. and then I saw it after Raw, and I says, "What's Jeff talking about? He didn't mention his mother once." <laughs> <laughs> he must have mentioned his mother about forty, fifty times. Oh my I remember God. somebody saying on Twitter, I said, uh, they said, uh, is, he, is he inducting his mother? Is he <laughs> oh, inducting Jesus. His, his mother? <laughs> but I got to say, though, putting that all aside, it was a really good group of guys at the uh, Hall of Fame this year. You know, oh, yeah. uh, all basically WWE born and bred. Uh, even Mr. T, for that matter. Not so yeah. much Carlos alone, but, you know, that was, for the most part, you know, you had Scott Hall, mm-hmm. uh, Warrior, Mr. T. Jake Roberts. Jake yeah, Jake. Paul Barra. I mean, Paul Barra. These are all WWE originals. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, you you would have... A lot of guys have that never even stepped foot in the WWE. Uh, one year they even had the guy that was uh, that did uh, what's his name, uh, the celebrity wing guy. Uh, everybody got pissed off. Was it, was it Chip Carey, I think maybe. Drew Carey. Drew Carey. Yeah, Drew Carey. Yeah, my God. Everybody, yep. including myself, was so upset yep. at Drew Carey. What about P.B. Herman? Oh, for God's sake. Oh, my God. <laughs> At least, you know, have like a Cindy Lauper, you know, somebody that actually made something of uh, the business, you know. Yep. But Drew Carey, that was the worst of all. He made one appearance, to my knowledge, and uh, he got thrown over in the War Rumble. Yeah, and they put so, William the Refrigerator Perry in. They put William the Refrigerator, right. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking Sid. Also, they, they got the Rock still to put in, you know, as far as big names. Undertaker. They yeah. still have him to put, put in. Will they put him in next year? Will they put the Rock in next year? You know? Mm-hmm. I think the Rock it's, is going in next year. I heard I heard rumor that they want to put in Rock next year. Well, really, anywhere, yeah. any any uh, word where uh, Mania is going to be coming from? Uh, no, there was actually somewhere to click on to. Silicon Valley, California. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't click on the link. It said possibly. Locations for the next five years. I said, it's supposed to be five years. Like, um, uh, brand new, and I think eighty thousand people. That's what they're going for next. Oh, okay. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, well, how many people did they have blackjack for this one? Thirty-five thousand. 
that's a, that's double normal over double, right? Yeah, yep. sure. I don't know if that's a good idea, but uh, unless they're gonna have some kind of dream match main event, which at this point, uh, what 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 main event is left that we haven't seen or that we want to see? Hey, they got a year to put it all together. That's what you said about last year, and you see where it went this year, and I decided to go. So they're going to make it uh, spectacular with this uh, network and everything else. I mean, the way they got the programming set, you got these one-time people that just watch WrestleMania for the the thing of it, and um, WrestleMania is definitely the year. That's our uh, football or Super Bowl crap that they do. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And people come over into the wrestling world just like a novelty, like, you know what I'm saying? They just go, there are people that come from all around the world, you know, from yep. Australia, Germany, Japan. So that's what Dayton, we got to uh, look Dayton, for. Ohio. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. over, brother. Cool. Cities, countries. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, this is a good show it, uh, in terms of uh, getting Warrior out of there. Out of there. And uh, we thank everybody for joining us. And uh, we will uh, leave you with the Ultimate Warriors uh, speech from the Hall of Fame. Thank you, JJ. Thank you. And thank you. All right. I'll see you guys right. next week. Okay, my okay. brothers. Now there you're being kind. And that's cool, and we'll talk a little bit about that. The one more match thing isn't going to happen, but... Other bigger things are going to happen. But I want to start by thanking a bunch of people. I've never interacted with anybody in this business that hasn't taught me something. Even if it is to teach me things that I don't want to do. Directions I don't want to go in my life. Things like that aren't going to work for me. But everybody in this business that I ever crossed paths with taught me something, going all the way back to the beginning, getting a few hours of training. Of course, that was easy to notice. A few hours of training from Red Bastine in California, a racquetball court, they had a ring set up in there. That was before they were smartening people up. Me and Steve Borden, Sting, a couple... And a couple other muscle-up guys, Red Bastine and Billy Anderson, enjoyed just watching us pound the crap out of one another. After a few hours training there, me and Steve put some flyers together. We went to Mid-Southern. Jerry Jarrett gave us an opportunity there. The people we met there, Dutch Mantel, Jerry Lawler, Fantastics, Bobby Rogers and Tommy Fulton, or the other way around, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. From there to Watts Territory, all the guys over there, the things we learned from them, 
Ted DiBiase was over there at the time, Dr. Destiny Williams. I have to tell Teddy, Teddy, I, saw, I somewhat fashioned my clothesline after you. Because I remember you and uh, Steve Williams, when you had matches with me and Steve, you tried the best you could to make it obvious that you wanted us to pack our gear bags and go home. And I remember my Adam's apple was always sore and hurting because of the clotheslines you gave me. So, you can take some honor in that, Ted. Where's Ted at? Is Ted here? Ted, good evening. How you doing, bud? Awesome. Of course, uh, went to WCW, WCCW World Class Championship Wrestling and learned a lot of great things there. Started the Dingo Warrior gimmick, the poor version of Ultimate Warrior. I only had a couple tubes of paint, a couple strings to put around my arms, but all the great people there, David Manning, Rick Hazard, the Von Erichs, um, Lynn Denton, uh, Tim Brooks, some of the guys that just worked in the business because they enjoyed working in the business. Bruiser Brody was there. George Scott was there. He was there at the tail end of it. George Scott worked with Vince in the beginning to do the first couple of WrestleManias. He was going down to Florida to retire. And he, uh, Fritz had asked him if he'd come down there and do some of the booking. And he came down there for a while. And I remember another old-timer, Bronco Lubick, was uh, working in the office there. And he pulled me aside one day and he said, George was on the phone today and he was talking to New York. He didn't say WWE. Well, W. I wish that they could put the F, the F and F back in. You know, for, for us guys. For us guys that have a difficult time now keeping track of those kind of details. I mean, I really can't believe that Jerry McDivitt got his ass kicked by those wildlife people. <laughs> anyway, Bronco said, they're talking about, they said there's a kid down here and he's, he's raw, obviously again. He's green, obviously again. But he could be something. And that led to me uh, going down to Tyler, Texas, having a match for a card that WWE was putting on down there, and that led to me going up to New York. And in New York, so many people I want to thank. Uh, the first guy I worked with, Jose Estrada. It was a television taping in Indianapolis. I went there, and he made me press slam him about 15 or 16 times, something like that. And um, I guess to see if I was going to blow up. I was blown up before we started. Uh, Steve Lombardi. Where's Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler? Steve was on the receiving end of uh, my uh, green punishment every night for a long, long time. Always kept a positive attitude about it. Terry Gibbs, the first guy I worked with on TV. All the guys there that helped me out. You know, there's, in the business, the boys have a pretty good... Hector. And uh, aside from 
you know, the details of specific stories or events that are told in the DVD. There's a lot of discussion about that I wasn't welcome in the locker rooms. I wasn't uh, one of the boys. Um, I was an a-hole to everybody. And, you know, those kind of things, when I saw the DVD, they make me angry and they pissed me off, but they also broke my heart. It really did, because uh, in the business, when somebody comes in, as they would, new guys would come in every three weeks, we did television, they would come in for a tryout or something. If they didn't have the kind of personality to cut it amongst the boys, they weren't around very long. If they couldn't handle having their high security gear bag with the combination lock that can't be um, violated, if they couldn't handle having the bulldogs find their way in that bag and leaving something in the bag that you don't want to find in any bag anywhere, then they were out of there real quick. And recently one of the guys I had one of the classic all-time matches um, of all time with has been on the record saying that I was a good guy. I was a good guy. I am a good guy. And when those kind of things were said about me, 